Welcome back in another episode, Startups, Sparks and Serendipity. We are back. We had a little, a little break, um, which was probably caused by season two starting, but uh, that shouldn't be an excuse. Um, Max is back. And on the other side, we also have the usual partner. Uh, hi, Mike. Welcome. Welcome back. Good to see you. Online crime. How are you doing? Very well. How are you doing? I, I can't complain. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's very hot. <laughs> which is actually not the major complaint i have like, i could complain but i won't so uh i'm doing well heat heat uh it's not a reason to complain i agree no no I, I mean there are other things like there's just a lot lot on the plate a lot of things going on but yeah you just need to power through you, you just sometimes have these weeks where just everything falls down on you at once right and then other weeks are just uh, very easy in comparison and i had a couple of the more difficult weeks but yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic that this will hopefully change soon. And if not, uh, I'll just uh, continue going the same direction and <laughs> see that it ends at some point. Good to hear that. I mean, I've observed something similar because I've taken uh, a couple of days off just to recharge and, and kind of get my creativity going again and also to read a little bit. And um, nice. I was wondering how kind of the reset is going to be when you come back from a vacation because, of course, when, when I had my startup back then, it definitely felt differently to, 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 to go on vacation for a couple of days. And the restart was definitely different now. I need, I need a, couple, a bit more time just to um, structure my thoughts again when you are kind of seven days into recharge, creativity, and reading mode and then kind of uh, go back again to, to more or less... Uh, more strategic tasks and stuff it's kind of interesting how the brain needs to switch again from the recharge environment to the more strategic environment i don't know if you have observed the same but at least for me yeah I, like one thing i've observed is that the first two or three days of vacation are super difficult to enjoy yeah so it's really difficult to actually relax the thing is i haven't really done the vacation in quite a long time so i, I don't have any recent experiences but i noticed it during christmas mm. because i took i think like i mean I, I kind of worked during christmas but not really so I, I took a bit of a time off during that time and it was really difficult to just calm down and like relax in the way that i should have relaxed so currently what i what i've started doing is doing like some micro not really vacations, but just uh, micro breaks. For example, Sunday evenings, I like the last five or six Sunday evenings, I had a fairly good relaxation schedule. And Is I that, think. Do, are you just really by good. yourself, or does relaxation mean spending time with other people, kind of talking about different things and the, the, the business parts of, of, of your life? Yeah, so it really depends. So I'm fairly extroverted most of the time. So I need other people around me to some degree, but I'm also on the other hand, I can be very introverted where I just need time alone. And usually the time of relaxation I'm currently talking about is smartphone free time for myself or me and someone I'm very close with. And then just like enjoying talking, but not really talking about anything related to business but rather focusing on other things. And yeah, I think that was, that was actually going really well. I felt way more relaxed on my Mondays after doing this Sunday evenings. Super interesting. Yeah, what I can see also talking to different founders is there are kind of two options. One is either that you have kind of these micro breaks where 
people go off for like only weekends and they really take their weekends quite strictly or people what i've heard also quite often now is that people are quite strict about these one and a half two week vacations where they just try to recharge and 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 go back into creativity mode they read a lot they spend a lot of time with their family or their loved ones or whatever it is so i i see these two different options um uh, as the consequences of kind of entrepreneurship and people going through more more stress and more to do's and more topics on on their head kind of yeah i i agree and especially since building a startup is a multi-year journey right if it works out Mm. it's just very difficult if not impossible to work for five years straight without having any kind of break or any kind of way of recharging your batteries so i think everyone probably needs to figure out what works for them but I think there are also some common denominators between what, what works for people and what doesn't work. So for example, I think excessive partying might be fun in the moment, but it actually doesn't really help you calm down and relax. So you're actually as stressed as before, maybe if you do it too much in your breaks. Mm. Yeah. So I think like, I know some founders that try to just really let loose from time to time. And uh, I think it wasn't, I mean, doing it for a is obviously not bad, but if it's your main coping mechanism, uh, that can actually develop in, into being a problem, right? Because then the thing you do as your coping mechanism is also not really helping you to relax and calm down. So I think there needs to be a balance of things as, as often in life. And the problem about being a founder or working for yourself is that theoretically you can just decide when you go on holidays right which you mm. can't always do in a classical job but on the other hand you always feel really 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 bad when you go on a vacation not always but most most founders i know so i think yeah. it's about really finding a way of making it work for yourself and not feeling guilty about it which is not easy to do in my opinion Absolutely. I think it's it's something that everybody kind of has to find out for for herself or himself. I think also setting the structure within the organization or within the startup is quite uh, essential to also let loose and, and give people responsibility as soon as you're off for a couple of days. Um, I think that's probably the critical yeah. I critical agree. point and i think that's that's a good layoff also to our topic today micro entrepreneurship and of course for everybody that's kind of joining for the first time mike and i always try to better understand what um what people in the startup scene and and entrepreneurship means and also what 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 startups are going through um, but also looking at personal development topics where we are quite passionate about developing us further on a day-to-day -day basis and we invite different people but we also look at certain industry trends we want to do more and more deep dives into certain certain uh, topics that we've seen um, or that we are quite uh, passionate about. One of them is micro-entrepreneurship and we just wanted to cover that topic for today and just get a better understanding of what, what micro-entrepreneurship means, but also what how it has changed in the last 15 years. And um, Mike, maybe you can start off and, and give people and get everybody on board and give people a general introduction to the topic of what the definition is, what it actually means um, in, 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 as a starting point. Yeah, so how you can basically think about micro-entrepreneurship or how I think about it is that it's usually single individuals who are working basically as freelancers or basically on their own and individually and are not employed in a traditional employer-employee relationship. And 
these micro-entrepreneurs sometimes use very basic skills, and we will give you examples of what, what that actually entails later, but sometimes also fairly special skills. And usually the, the rise of micro-entrepreneurship is currently driven by digital platforms and software, uh, as so often when we talk about it. And the, the advantage of that is that they can directly serve customers through these platforms. And different from SMBs, like small and medium Size business, we are literally talking about single individuals or maybe very, very, very small teams. And we can just give you a couple of examples of what is considered a micro entrepreneur to just set the stage. And then Max and I will dive a bit deeper, explain a couple of general industry trends and why it's so exciting. So I think generally uh, you can think of Uber drivers or Lyft drivers as micro entrepreneurs. You can also think about food delivery. Um, people that deliver through DoorDash, Instacart, uh, Delivery Hero, whatever it is, uh, as micro-entrepreneurs. Because basically, they are not employed at Uber or Lyft. They're doing that via their own, like they can basically plan their own time and they earn the money on their own invoice, basically. And that's like one part, like everything that's related to driving like when you actually drive the car and transport passengers or driving with extra steps where you use Postmates or DoorDash and deliver things to the doorstep of other people. And this is something that I personally like would call more of a commoditized micro-entrepreneur where basically driving, for example, is a very basic skill that many people can do. And it's not really differentiated. Obviously, different Uber drivers have a different skill set and maybe they have different ratings, but generally they bring you from A to B. But then there's also something that's uh, I would consider specialized micro-entrepreneurship, where it's actually fairly relevant who the person is that you're dealing with. And this can be crafting items on and selling them on Etsy, for example. For those who don't know Etsy, Etsy is basically similar to eBay, but you it's a focus on handcrafted items. And then lastly, things you all know, uh, people that produce content for YouTube and Twitch, or actually also some podcast hosts uh, are also considered micro-entrepreneurs. And there, the personality is obviously very important, and it's very differentiated from from other offerings. And I think that sets the stage for actually talking about it and diving a bit deeper. But maybe, Max, do you want to give us a couple of examples of micro-entrepreneurship that you really like? Absolutely. I think uh, you you fantastically summarized it. I think just what, what I can also observe... Um, oh, I'm sorry. My Apple Watch started off. Um, <laughs> yeah, we um, definitely leave that in. <laughs> of course, that's the authentic part of podcasting. Um, <laughs> no, I think a couple of examples that I've uh, observed are also, I think, in in of, unless it gets too big, but is people that rent their rooms or apartments through Airbnb. They are somehow uh, micro entrepreneurs using their facilities or mm-hmm. their their depart uh, their uh, apartment for for further um, for further money machine more or less. And I think also if you look a little bit further, you see Shopify sellers, which I I, I'm, I believe lots of you guys know more or less the 
the smaller son of Amazon um, for for different purposes and also virtual assistants, which I find quite interesting because mm. I think they are going to be quite exciting in the future where um, people are going to rely on virtual assistants that are potentially sitting anywhere in the world and they actually can make some some money by helping people organize their life and their to-dos and their schedules, etc. So I think those are a couple of examples that are happening today on a day-to-day basis. Um, if you look a little bit further down the road, and I've lived in Africa for a while or in Southern Africa, um, you see for example, rural farmers um, in in Africa, which uh, potentially are um, are much more uh, focused on being entrepreneurial in their, let's say, local environment as rural farmers. And of course, that's um, a little bit far off from what we see in the developed world. But I think if we look at the developing world, this is still a very, very important point to look at that, especially in rural areas in Southern Africa, for example, people are actually quite entrepreneurial in their local environment. So I think those are uh, potential examples in micro entrepreneurship that we see in, in of course, in, in the developed world, but also in the developing world. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, especially that you bring up the developed world, because I think that's also like a huge chunk of where micro entrepreneurship, at least in terms of numbers, is located, right? But yeah, if we if we talk about enabling people through software, that's probably a step that will come a bit later. I think there are already some cool applications that help farmers in Africa sell their crops uh, directly to other folks or or some marketplace for that and some software that helps them budget or access uh, to microloans, like all of these things. But I'm I'm not that familiar with that side of the market. If you're more familiar, happy to dive into that. Mm. But I personally would would focus a bit more on the uh, developed world because that's where I, I know more use case, but happy to actually hear more about the, uh, the state of the microentrepreneurship scene in Africa, for example. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm also definitely more on the on 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 the developed side. But I I did some research on on where micro entrepreneurship came from originally, um, mm-hmm. and of course this can be defined in different ways. But what I found quite interesting that it was more or less originated in Bangladesh um, by mm. by a founder of of a bank in Bangladesh who gave away kind of micro loans to to people in India, especially uh, women, uh, just to help them be more financially self sufficient. And of course you you can see this also as a normal business now. There are a couple of big startups in Europe that more or less give away micro loans as their way of of, of serving people in with microservices more or less. But I think um, what what where it originated from is quite interesting because now the bank has over two million clients, mostly women, that actually are living on on these on these kind of micro loans that that the founder has originated back then and his idea was more or less to use it as a micro entrepreneurship method to to make some money on the side and help people with micro loans and um, going kind of a step further uh, there's a US founder Wayne Elsie uh, maybe some of you have heard of him I've heard him before um, who actually founded an NGO back then called Souls for Souls um, so souls from the shoes um, and he used kind of old and and, and also new shoes and redistributed them further uh, to people in need or at least helped micro entrepreneurs to sell these shoes further to people that would uh, like to have these shoes for a lower price. So I, uh, he gave people the opportunity to be micro entrepreneurs by selling shoes further and he more or less built the overarching um, company to sell these kind of shoes further. And I think now he has sold over 30 million shoes in one, over 100 countries. So I think that's quite quite interesting to see where micro entrepreneurship already 20, 30 years ago has come from and how it has emerged into a more modern um, software-driven architecture where we talk about uh, what we talk about now, I guess. 
Yeah, I actually have a really good example for microloans as well because the founder or one of the founders of Kiva, yeah. I don't know if you know Kiva. Sure. Um, basically, they are really big non-profit organization that also enables uh, people to access microloans. And how, how that how it works there is that it's uh, some kind of crowdfunding or like um, like peer-to-peer lending platform. And it was founded in 2005. And they've originated over $1 billion of microloans. And one of the founders, Jessica Jackley, was actually my professor at USC in a course called Social Entrepreneurship. And yeah, it was insane. Like, it was really cool that, like, she shared some stories of, like, how many people they've helped. Every, like, every single thing from small farmers in rural areas to people living in the urban areas in, in less developed countries that just needed like very little money for our Western standards and could do so much with it. Sometimes it's buying a goat or buying a, like, a farm animal and the returns are sometimes insane. And then also the actual repayment rate is like 96% plus, which is higher <laughs> than many, many types of loans in the developed world. So these people are actually very good um, borrowers, but obviously it's not the most attractive thing. It's it's less attractive for some of the larger financial institutions just because the the volumes are so low and lending is usually a a volume game. But yeah, it's it's really cool. I, I think microloans is one of the coolest things happening in uh, like as a bridge between the developed world and the developing world so like very very cool that you brought that up yeah and of but course let's you, transition. You, and of okay, course sorry, you, just one sentence i mean of course you could see as 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 a let's you could not see it as a way in micro entrepreneurship right but i I, th- I still believe that the the origin of where it comes from is quite interesting to bridge the gap also to the more software driven ecosystem that we see now because yeah. it has to come from somewhere and i think people just came up with certain ideas and of course in 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 the developing world it was more a necessity to actually get money because it was more about living and not about the 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 self like the the self fulfillment of using micro entrepreneurship to make money as an individual it was mm-hmm. more a necessity and now micro entrepreneurship is more seen as a way of being your own individual and 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 serving yourself um, with making money just by yourself maybe with a small team and i think that's shifting from being a necessity in micro, uh, as micro entrepreneurship to now being something that people would love to do is something that i also find quite interesting but of course maybe now we can step over to um the the the, the, the current topics uh, but I, I thought that might be interesting also to to mention definitely definitely yeah, so basically one cool thing about microentrepreneurship, by the way, we will link a very cool article from uh, Lee Jin. She worked at A16Z for some time. I don't know what she's currently doing, but she's tweeting a lot of good stuff. And she also has a newsletter. And in the newsletter, she talked about unbundling work from employment mm-hmm. and talked about microentrepreneurship. So it's a very good source if you want to dive a bit deeper. And she also has some additional links. Uh, so we will link it in the show notes. And... Yeah, so basically, um, one thing that I find super interesting is now that we know there's this really big and growing part of society 
that isn't part of a traditional employer-employee relationship, right? We have people that drive full-time for Uber, for Lyft. We have full-time or people that are more or less full-time like Etsy crafters. We have people that start to do it with blogging more and more since um, Medium worked on their monetization and Substack specifically is a really cool company that's working there. And then we have other companies that enable fitness instructors to do their lessons online or coaches and therapists to work online. So there's all these new ways of earning your money without being employed at a gym, a newspaper, a media agency, uh, some other company that is the basically the overarching legal entity that you have to do it for. And there's so many cool things that can be built to actually build startups around that. And I think one of the main things to understand is that there are different ways to actually empower these people. On the one hand, you can help people in one specific vertical to set up their own micro-entrepreneurship existences. So, for example, uh, there is uh, this company that is helping people to build their own grocery delivery business. Basically, like small grocery delivery, delivery businesses, local, where you can just set it up on yourself. I think, yeah, it's called Dumpling. And that's just really cool because you can just build it on your own. You can like build your own brand on it and then have people that come to you specifically because you're doing a good job, which is pretty cool. Or there is Wonder School, which is actually... Um, a company or like I've talked to the founder some time ago and one of my co-founders has as well. And what they are doing is they basically homeschooling gets more and more important, right? Especially in the U S where it's uh, legal and some parts of Europe, it is not like mm -hmm. you can't just homeschool your children, but basically in the U S it's legal and it's growing because of COVID and other things. And wonder school is basically helping people to start their own micro schools. And similarly, uh, there's also Prenda, which is a company that was in my YC batch, which mm -hmm. is doing something similar. Um, I think they're, they have a kind of a different angle. So if you're listening, sorry for that. But uh, basically, both of them help you to set up your own schools at home and teach other children, which is cool. But if you want to do that, would you know what the regulations are? Where do you actually get the curriculum from, et cetera, et cetera? And they help you to actually set it up which is, in my opinion, a really cool thing to do. You just look at these different verticals where there are new things that come up where you can empower people to actually build their, basically like their own, like I said, micro-entrepreneurship existences, however you would want to call it, and they help them at every step of the way. That's like one really cool part. And then the other part is building software and services, especially for micro-entrepreneurs. And that's maybe something that we can focus on later, but... Uh, yeah, what, what are you saying about the vertical thing? Is there any any vertical that you would like to see more in or what are you thinking about it in general? Yeah, I, I, what I find quite interesting is that um, in a more and more community-driven ecosystem, this totally makes sense to me, right? Where you have these certain industry and vertical-specific communities and they can actually connect with each other by leveraging existing technology to 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 use or to utilize their capabilities and skills i mean what i find quite interesting a vertical that would be interesting for me and i 
find it quite intriguing that you mentioned it is sports, where I mm. think one of the biggest challenges in sports at the moment is, for example, if you are a soccer player or you're a golf player or whatever it is, and you want to just get like a quick training, but you don't have your trainer around, you can you would you would love to get access to maybe a trainer that is based in India or based in China or in the US, but you're sitting in Germany. Um, and with a platform, you could access a short 30-minute sports session by on-demand through a click and you can access an expert uh, that is sitting somewhere around the globe and that can help you kind of fix your swing or fix your shot or whatever it is. And I think that's something where I would see the opportunity of using existing communities and and uh, and also using it to geographically unbundle people in a more efficient way. Yeah, and then one additional thing that's really crazy about exactly, especially the sport analogy is that usually these people, uh, the people who become the best athletes in a specific sport are those that grow up near facilities, either sport clubs or high schools, colleges that are are really good at the sport, right? So because you just have this proximity to other people who are good and to really good coaching, and of course you can always move, blah, blah, blah. But basically if you live near a ski resort, it's much easier to become a good skier. Yeah. Uh, If you live somewhere where it's very hot and there's no snow, very difficult to do. And there are some sports where it's just, in general just difficult to to actually accomplish but for example soccer is a great example you can theoretically learn parts of it or especially some individual sports maybe running is maybe actually a really good one Uh, because for running if you have a good running coach digitally uh, that that can coach you that can help you you can actually access knowledge that you wouldn't be able to access otherwise and can basically level the playing field a little bit I think there are obviously still many advantages in in-person training, etc. I don't want to go into that now, but it's just really cool. If I want to have a cool session with someone who is an expert in uh, mobility uh, tomorrow, I can just book it. And then I have a couple of really great new exercises and it's much more difficult to do offline. So yeah, I, I, I like it. And then also these platforms help me to pick and choose because otherwise, where would I look for that? Maybe they have a personal website, but do I send them an email? I don't want to do that. I want to have a website. I go on the website. I have 10 fitness like instructors or mobility instructors or whatever. There's a rating system. There's some kind of content about what they're actually good at. And I can just immediately click on it and book. That's what I want. And <laughs> I think that's something that's uh, currently being built in many different verticals. Yeah, and you see this. I mean, um, I've, I've come across it, I think, once or twice, where, of course, in the US, you have more, let's say, more personal development coaches, more coaches mm. that help you in certain areas. And there's a platform, I think, that's called coach.me, where you can mm-hmm. literally look up your coach in, in a second and you can filter them by their skills and by their availability, costs, whatever it is. Um, and you, you find the right coach that you can talk to. And I've heard actually a couple of people using it and they have found they are more regular coach that coaches them on their kind of quarterly goals or whatever once a quarter. And I find that quite interesting. And you can see that happening already in certain uh, verticals, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Actually, I'm, I'm currently using a pretty cool new app. I'm not sure if they're still in stealth or public, so I, I won't name the name, but basically uh, what they are doing, oh, wait, I'll, I'll, uh, let's, let's switch topics. I'll really quickly look up whether they're like fully live or not. And then, uh, then, <laughs> then I can, I, I know how to talk about that. 
Fantastic. No, I can, I can, I can bridge the gap because I thought, um, what can we also do about it? And uh, of course, looking from an entrepreneur perspective, if you have an existing business or you work for a startup or you work for a business, I think what's going to happen in the future is also that um, structures around uh, micro entrepreneurs will need to be more flexible. When you also think about kind of where education goes to, it's going to be more flexible, it's more on demand, and people just want to find their maybe micro entrepreneurship job for the next kind of one to two weeks, and then they want to move on and work for another startup or another company. And I think um, if you are a company and you're kind of looking to grow and you want to be part of this micro entrepreneurship community, I think you need to also look into your company and identify faster structures to integrate micro entrepreneurs into your company, whether that's about opening up a freelance talent marketplace in your company for fast projects where more or less people can just click and choose and be part of your project for one to two weeks and then they off again and just identify your own structures and, and be ready for it because I think it's not going to take too much long anymore before this whole micro entrepreneurship um, experience is also going to be part of existing companies. So I think um, everybody just needs to be aware of it and needs to be ready as soon as it pops. Yeah, that's great. There's so many things we could talk about and I actually have a couple of additional topics. Maybe we actually do a part two next week because I, I don't think that we will bring everything into this one, but like I have two very important things that I wanted to, three actually um, points that I wanted to mention. Point one how cool is it that if you're a 20-year-old college student and you need some money, you just sign up for Uber or Lyft or whatever, and you can just start working ASAP. Yeah. It's insane. Like Earlier, you just like um, even a couple of years ago, you had to find a job, apply for the job, get the job. <laughs> yeah. start the job maybe fill out some like annoying contracts maybe like i don't even know get paid now, in one month <laughs> yeah you can theoretically sign up for the, so many things arguably in the u.s it's easier than in other parts of the world but yeah. it, it's it's just increasingly easy to just access new forms of generating income for yourself which is so freaking cool because it gives you so much more freedom and it's also a pretty cool thing for artists for other people who are trying to support themselves while they are like just going for their dreams right mm. there's the joke that in la like every second uber driver is an aspiring actor and <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's not that untrue i've met many aspiring actors and many uh, give you cards for their uh, next i don't know like play or whatever I think there's so many cool ways of actually enabling people to live a freer life. And one really big problem with that is that there's, it's very difficult. Every time there's a lot of change, regulators come in, right? And I don't mm. know if you've, uh, if you've noticed, but uh, California or like a judge in California was trying to force all Uber and Lyft drivers in California yeah, to it. become employees of the company, mm -hmm. which would be atrocious for the whole industry. And I don't even think it's better for drivers because most people who drive for Uber or Lyft don't want to be employees. They want to have flexibility and they want to have the freedom of doing whatever they want to do. And I think it's not an advantage of actually being an employee because it, it creates a lot of friction for most people that are involved. Agree, agree. And, and, and I can also, I, I have these anecdotes from kind of my Southern African time where I always ask the Uber drivers, what makes you passionate about driving in an Uber? And they all mentioned what you mentioned about being self-employed, kind of being the entrepreneur, um, also knowing when to work and, and just deciding 
um, how long you want to work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I think this is across different countries, and of course, the US is more or less a role model from how people can work and how futuristic work can be. But if you look at more developing areas in the world, you also see this development happening where people want to be more. more entrepreneurs they want to be part of the development uh, of themselves and not rely on any employer so um, if there's a regulation in place i think this will destroy a lot of dreams or um yeah a lot of progress on certain people i mean we noticed it in germany right in germany the barrier of becoming an uber driver was extremely high it's still extremely high yeah. and why why is uber like still i mean it's, it's getting better but why is uber not really really like widely used in germany it's not because consumers don't want it it's mm. not because there aren't enough people who would be like to like become an uber driver and like do it it's just because you need a specific permit and a specific kind of um driver's license to actually do it and uh, i mean i interned at uber uh, a couple of years ago so i um also know uh, like a bit more uh, about that Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any stocks, so I, I don't care uh, in, ter- in terms of any financial means. But it was crazy. Like these people sometimes study for six months just to get this permit. And then they just go into the car and they learn so many things for this that they don't need. It's yeah. just, it's crazy. Like you, if you, if you want to be an Uber driver, you don't need to be able to calculate the depreciation of your assets. Just mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. And yeah, okay, I could go on a rant, but I won't in the interest of time. <laughs> uh, I just want to mention one more thing that's still like extremely cool because we have talked about vertical. There's also a really good way of building horizontal products. You can build products, especially for micro-entrepreneurs. There's a, a couple of companies that are focusing on Uber and Lyft drivers. For example, there's a company that, I think Uber has their own program now, but basically they were giving cars to Uber drivers almost for free and then they would just ah, the yeah, Uber drivers would just pay for that with yeah. a percentage of the money they would get in through driving for Uber. And then there's this really cool company in I think they're based in Brazil. They were also in my YC badge called Zippy. What they're doing is they give loans to Uber drivers based on their actual Uber trips. So if they drive on Uber a lot, they can get the money earlier, they can get additional loans just based on their basically rating and activity on Uber. So there are so many cool things you can build on top of these platforms and you can Mm. build things to actually enable these people to uh, be able to file their taxes more easily, to get rid of sub-administrative stuff, to enable them to exit the financial system. There's so many cool things that can be built and I'm very excited for this market. Agree. Let's definitely like. Uh, I I think also um, that that we should potentially cover it in a more regular term, just to also uh, see how how the how the the industry updates um, and and changes. Um, so I think um, it was good to kind of get a better overview of what the industry is about and where it's moving. Yeah, I I agree. Okay, and, you have a startup of the week for me. Yeah, just uh, just just one because I find it quite interesting. Uh, Deliver Hero, which is of course a Berlin-based company, um, for example, it hosts uh, Lieferando and and different other takeaway providers. Uh, they are actually part of the DAX now, which is big big news in in Germany because they are one of the few startups, or actually I think the first startup that has kind of brought it in into one of the thirty biggest companies in Germany, uh, according to. Uh, 
the Ducks at least. So I think that was quite fascinating. They replaced Wirecard, which was more or less unfortunate because they were quite successful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I found the story quite, uh, quite, quite funny. Wirecard is gone, Deliver Heroes in, and everybody's celebrating it now. So um, I think definitely a big, a big win for the the German startup ecosystem. Yeah, there's a new dawn. I think that's really good for the startup system ecosystem. Yep. I'm still pissed at Delivery Hero. And I'll just go on my next rant. I think I'm just in a, in a ranting mood today. Uh, maybe, <laughs> I, it's just, I maybe very sensitive topics because I was in the US and I got back to Berlin to visit. And then like at some point, only Lieferando was the only app you could still use to order food. The delivery uh, Deliveroo wasn't available anymore. And uh, Foodora, I think, also like just like transferred you to Lieferando. Yeah. And Lieferando's app is just really bad. And they don't have many of the restaurants that the other apps have. And I still think that this is a good example of why sometimes monopoly power is bad for the consumer. So um, my end, uh, my rent uh, ends now, but I, I, I really <laughs> like the company. I, I know a lot of people who work there and I really think they're doing a good job, but I would have, uh, I, I would appreciate a bit more competition, um, a bit more competition. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think that would be at least good for the consumer, but yeah, uh, good for, good for Germany, good for the ducks, good for Europe and good for the startup scene in general. By the way, I looked it up. The company I was talking about uh, is live, so I can talk about them. It's called Demigod, which is a cool name, I think. Mm -hmm. And what they're basically doing is they give you a habit tracker and also like an integrated calendar and everything, but they combine it with a human coach. So they, they built a lot of it on the atomic habit system. And then they have a chat system in there where someone like once, twice a day tells you, hey, stick to your habits, go to bed on time, blah, blah, blah. And it's really, it's a really nice addition that helps me to stick to my habits even better than before. And I've been using it for like, I don't know, two weeks or so now. And it's pretty cool. I, I really like it. And, and the coach is, 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 a, is a human or is that a chatbot? Yeah, no, no. For now, it's a human. Like, okay. I think it will be a human. And for now, it's just team members of, of Demigod, but they are actually opening up to actual coaches at some point. Yeah. And yeah, it's, nice. it's pretty cool. Nice. And, and uh, welcome to the App Store. Yeah, maybe maybe in the interest of time, since both of us have calls very soon and need to prepare, yep. I'll give you the book of the week very quickly. Yep. It's called The Go-Giver. And The Go-Giver is a very special book because it's not the best book in terms of language and eloquence. And it's also not, it's a bit simplistic in terms of how it tries to bring its point across, mm -hmm. but it's really, really good. It's a very short read. It's a story about uh, a great business. Um, I, I think a great idea about reciprocity and about success. And I think it's a, it's a really good book to read if you want just a, a fairly positive, uplifting story that actually teaches you something. And cool. Uh, I think it's it's written fairly simplistically, but it's I really enjoyed it, and it's one of the books I gift the most, just mm -hmm. because I think it's a short read. It's really good, and people would enjoy it. Nice, cool. Thanks for sharing. I've and we will, it. as always, link it in the show notes. Yes, sir. And now quote of the week, and that's of course Mike's time uh, to close it off. Uh, thanks, Mike, already for the great chat. Um, now you can you can go and rant with a quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, it's not a rant quote, so uh, we, we're good on that end. And uh, it's, again, uh, adapted from one of the people we like a lot or uh, 
admire a lot from Naval. And what he said is living below your means creates immense freedom. And mm. I think that's very true. And I know many people who are earning a lot of money, but also spending a lot of money and have continuous problems with their personal finances. And I think people that I know that have a very strict personal finance regimen live a way easier life, way less stress. It's just, it's just better. So sometimes it's about actually reducing your expenses. And sometimes it's also about increasing your income, right? Some, like you need a certain amount of money to live at a certain place. But yeah, I think this quote is just very powerful in general because it's not necessarily related to how poor you are or how rich you are. You can have financial worries in a lot of different states, even if you earn a bit more money. Mm. It's obviously a different level of financial stress. So don't want to put it at the same level. But I just think that actually budgeting and actually taking care of your finances can create a lot of positive value. Agree, and 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 I think we mentioned that he he has like a short audio book called "How to Get Rich," which of course is quite, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, quite. Uh, I don't want to say popular, but it's it's definitely a, a known name. But I can definitely recommend it. It builds a little bit on top of what Mike just said. But thanks, Mike. Um, great quote. I really like it. Naval is great. So I think um, also means a lot. Um, so thanks for for the episode and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one.